I did make an error. I put Hebrews 12 on your outline. It's Hebrews 5. My apologies for that. Just in the top. The rest of it has it, has it in there correctly. Last week, we were looking at the parable of the sower. We saw that first off, we need to come into an understanding of the word. If we don't come into an understanding of the word, it will be stolen from us because of our lack of understanding. Second thing we saw is that we need to resist temptation. That once we find out what the word says on a, on a thing, say that we find out what the word says about healing, we are going to be tempted to doubt. You're going to be given a pain in your body. You're going to be given something, some kind of a signal that says, ha, ah, it didn't work for you. And there will be a, a reason to doubt. You will be tempted to doubt because the, the, the word didn't get sown all the way down on the inside of you the way it needed to. And so temptation came along and, and pulled that out. Then we also saw that if you got past all that, then the devil's going to try and throw away uh, distraction. He's going to try and get your focus off of the word and not put as much attention to it. Just start up putting attention to other things that you're trying to pursue and trying to get at. And these weeds are meant to distract, trying to draw some of your attention, some of your focus, so that you're not giving it fully to the word. For if we can get that truth down and get to the place where it is in the end, that we are producing some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And if we are not producing, one of these three things is probably in the way. And it may just not be... It, you look at that temptation thing, you get tempted to do all sorts of stuff. You can be tempted to think, well, God doesn't have a place for me. God doesn't have a purpose for me. Have you ever had asked that question? You know, maybe you've gone through a life t- 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and, and you're still wondering, why does God have me here? Why does God have me here? Well, I want to let you know I put that question out to God, and, and um, I think I have an, an answer for you on that, but you're going to wait till next week. But if you've been waiting a long time and don't seem to have what your purpose is, wait until next week. Um, I was thinking maybe we might get into it today, but we'll, we'll, we'll look into this next week. Hebrews chapter 5, let me read this to you, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So by this time, now the writers of Hebrews, you know my opinion on this, I think it's pretty factual. I do not believe that Paul wrote this book. I know a lot of people are out there, and I differ with a whole lot of people on this, but I'm pretty convinced Paul did not write this book. This is not Pauline in the epistle. This is someone else, and there's a whole lot of cases you can make out there for who it might be, including Priscilla. There's actually a very good uh, uh, presentation that Priscilla is the one who wrote this. But you could uh, look at look it up. I can make a pretty good case that Paul did not. Because many of the topics that are in this are things that he does not share a passion for. Look at the rest of Paul's writings. He doesn't share any kind of passion for Melchizedek. And yet this one is completely consumed by it. And wants to teach a whole lot more on Melchizedek. And Paul never even brings up the guy's name. How is that possible? How can you have the writer of Hebrews be so passionate about a topic that Paul doesn't even bring up? But anyway, the Greek's different. The very Greek that, that, that you're writing this is, is, is different. Uh, it's it's just a different writer. I've told you the story back at Rhema. I actually got an answer wrong on this because I wouldn't give it up. And so they put it on there, true or false. Paul, in the book of Hebrews and whatever it was, said this, and I, I said false. 
And afterwards, the only question I ever remember that I got wrong that ever came up and said, uh, what about this? And, and so he said, well, uh, that's, what, that's what it said in Hebrews. I said, yes, it said it in Hebrews, but Paul didn't say it. I said, well, I believe that Paul wrote it. I said, that's fine. You can believe that if you want, but it's not a fact. <laughs> you said true or false. And that's, that's not a fact that you can prove. And I didn't win the argument, but... I wasn't about to let that one go. I just, that's just one of those things that bothers me that, uh, that, that people attribute this to, to him. And I, I don't, and there's, more, there's more topics. That he, Hebrew gets into stuff that no other book in the New Testament gets into. It's some very unique thing. So I think it's a very unique writer, and it's not one of the writers that we have in the, in the New Testament. But I don't know who it would be. But he says, for... Though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now, he just finished teaching about some things about Melchizedek and saying, I wanted to go on and tell you more. But see, these guys aren't mature enough to handle it. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. There are many people in the body of Christ who think they have a mature walk, who are walking maturely, and God looks at them and says, you are not. Now, I remember some... Some time ago, we went over the series of faithfulness, and we said, if you were to poll most Christians, most people believe they are faithful. If you were to go up in the Christians in the church and you say, are you faithful? 80, probably 80% of people say, I'm faithful. And yet, in the Word of God, it says that faithfulness is rare. How is it possible that most people think they're faithful and God says faithfulness is rare? It's because people have a different view of faithfulness. I am faithful to what I want to do. And I believe that what I want to do is what God wants me to do. So I'm faithful to that. And that's, uh, that's not going to cut it with God. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now you tell those people that and they'll say, I do not, I'm just fine with the first principles of God. But you've come to need milk and not solid food. Now, I like milk. You all know my passion for milk. Among the grandchildren, only one has picked up the passion of milk. The rest of them, they know chocolate milk exists. They know it. In fact, they may even enjoy a cup here and there. But there's only one who shares my passion. Little Lissy. She's just as passionate about this. And so we were just having this conversation the other day about the different types of chocolate milk and who was good and who was not. So I can't have that conversation with everybody. <laughs> we were talking about it. Oh, yeah, I like this and this one. This, and we were just going back and forth about that. Uh, I, I like milk, but, you know, there's only so much that you can get from milk. You've got to be pursuing some of the, the better things, some of the meat things, some of the, the things that are going to give you substance. And he said, I can't do that with you. I can't teach you these things because you're not ready for it. You're not able to handle it. Now, you know with the little kids when they're growing up, there's some things that they're ready to handle and there's some things that they are not ready to handle. They believe they're ready to handle more. How many of y'all know that? Little kids believe they're ready to handle more than they think that they actually can. They see you eating a piece of steak. I want some. No, this is not for you right now. Or, you know, when they're young enough, sometimes uh, certain seafoods you don't want to give them until they get older. And so maybe you hold the... Uh, Hold that thing out. They see you eating a piece of shrimp, and they want some of that. No, no, no. We're not gonna. We're not gonna try this. Just, just that. And then honey, honey. Doesn't honey? They say you have to wait until so many months. I forget what the thing is. And 
and uh, you're supposed to wait for so long because apparently uh, uh, botulism can can not live in there, but it can exist, and uh, it it won't kill it. Honey kills a lot of things, but apparently it doesn't kill that, and so it can stay there preserved until it gets into a human body, and then it can take off. Now, most people, once you get to a certain age, can fight, just fight it off, and they'd be okay. I believe that's the, the scoop on why honey is not supposed to be given. But anyway, you know, there's certain things that they, they just can't handle, but they, they believe that they can. When my wife and I, we were taking the, the kids over to Giggleberry. How many know what Giggleberry is? Nobody. Oh, i got a couple people in there. Giggleberry is this nice little uh, uh, place out in um, Peddler's Village. And they've got all this little entertainment stuff. It's for kids, you know, and stuff. But uh, we had the big, the big one with us this time. The last time we went, we had the, the two little ones, and they didn't really weren't as interested in, in the tower. How many know what the tower is? The tower goes four stories up. You climb up in the tower and you slide down and do all this sort of stuff. Now, now Lumi was of an age that she—I don't even know if she was supposed to be in there, but she was. And so we were in there, and so we were trying to chase them around. And, uh, and, and do things. So in the beginning, Lumi was sleeping. I was holding her. And my wife was being the one chasing out the kids. And, you know, the, that, that place can wear you out. <laughs> it can just play. So it, it was wearing her out. And so when uh, Lumi woke up, then uh, we switched. And, and uh, I started going up. But then the little one, she, she says, I can do this. She doesn't say it, but she, she can tell. She's thinking it. And so she starts climbing on up, and she starts going for the slide. Now, this, if you've never been to Giggleberry, these are not normal kid slides. Normal kid slides, when, you're the, when the kid gets on it, they are slow motion going down. You ever seen those? You get on the slide, the kid gets on the slide, slow motion going down. They barely get down to the bottom. That is not the fact over at Giggleberry. Over at Giggleberry, these are high-speed slides. You will go faster down these slides probably than any other place that you've ever been. And so... Now, she wants to go, and she believes that she can take this thing on herself. Now, we know better. <laughs> we know that she can't. And so you have to be behind her when she's climbing up. But then once she gets to the top, she's ready to make a dart and go right on over there and, and take off and, and go on down the slide. And so I'm jumping ahead, and Chenzo, he's over there. He's helping me out. I'll, I'll get in front. He's getting in front slower down because <laughs> she's thinking that she's ready to handle it. Many times as Christian folks, we think we are ready to handle the big slide. We think we are ready to handle the meat. We think we are ready to handle something. God, give it to me. And God says, you are not ready for this yet. And here this writer is saying, there are some things that you should be ready for, and you are not. By this time, you should have been ready for these things, but you are not. How many things how many items does God have on our list, so to speak? They should be ready for this. They should be ready for this. But we can't give them this just yet. We'd like to. Can't give them this just yet. Uh, if, if God wants to give you something, don't you know it would benefit you? There is something that it would bring to your life that would benefit. There is something you are facing that it would equip you to handle. But he can't get it to you because you're not ready to hear. You're not ready to, to, to meditate on this. If he gave it to you, it would be stolen. If he gave it to you, you would be tempted to disbelieve it. If he gave it to you, it wouldn't take long before the weeds overran it. There is something going on in our life, and he knows, I would like to get out there, and I would like to sow this into your life, but you are not ready for this to go on. And that's what this writer is telling, telling them. There are some things I would like to sow into your life. There are some, some word 
that I would like to put into your life right now. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, doesn't mean they have to be a formal teacher, it just means you ought to be able to teach these things, but I need to go over them with you because you don't have them down right. You're not walking in them right. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. They came to need it. They came, look at that, they came to need milk. Can you imagine a child growing up, you know, when they're young, they need milk. You can't give them the, the solid food. But how many moms remember when you were finally able to give them cereal? Some kind of a, something more solid. And they would sleep at nighttime for more than two hours. It was one day just, oh, glory to God. They could sleep together, sleep by themselves three or four hours. That food would hold them over. Other than that, they were waking up because they were hungry because milk didn't sit with them long. And you would be saying, oh, I can't wait for the day. Then we can give you more than just milk that you can stay asleep and I don't have to keep running in here and feeding you. And then the mom could get some sleep. That would be a, that'd be a good thing. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So there's a lot of needs here. These people are needy. They need someone. They need milk. They, they actually need solid food, but they can't get it. They can't take it. Now, when he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers, the word there for time is chronos. How many of you do not need a Greek education to understand what chronos means? <laughs> the measure of time. We, 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 uh, watches are called by this name. It is elapsed time, or is this, in this case, length of time. You have been pursuing God for a length of time that you ought to be getting meat, but instead I need to give you milk. Something more was expected for the amount of time that they had followed God. Do you know that there is an actually an expectation on you for the amount of time that you have followed God? Just like when you have been a child, when you have a, when you have a one-year-old child, when they are one years old, how many of you expect them to be at a certain level? Two years old, you expect them to be at a certain level. Three years old, you expect them to be at a certain level. You expect that they can do certain things. And so you might jump in there when they, when they say, hey, I need a sandwich. And for a little while, you, ex you just expect, okay, if you need a sandwich, I'll go in and make you a sandwich. But how many know there came a day? And they said, mom, I need a sandwich. And you said, make it yourself. Right? Make it yourself. You are able to make it yourself. Get out there and do it. You're not helping them anymore by doing this. They need to get out there and they need to do this thing on their own. They're not babies anymore. You have an expectation. They need to get to that place. But he says here, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. They are unskilled. If they are not aware that they need milk, if they are not aware that they are needy, if they are not aware that they are not where they're supposed to be, how many of you think they might be aware that they are unskilled? They probably think they are skilled. They probably think, I know what I'm doing. But this person says, you do not. He says, uh, later on, he'll, he'll say they become dull of hearing. 
dull of hearing. Now, I put this in your outline. I want to make sure that you got it. People who have become dull of hearing tend to blame the teacher, the person, or their skill. Well, they just don't teach it very well. Well, they just don't seem to uh, get me or get it to me or whatever it might be. They'll blame the teacher. They'll blame the topic. The topic's not interesting. It's not useful. Or they'll blame the truth. They'll see it as false. People who are dull of hearing will generally blame the teacher, blame the topic, or blame the truth. You try and go out there with certain truth to people, and you say this about the Word, and what happens to, to some people? Well, I don't believe that to be true. See, they're dull of hearing. They can't hear it. They're dull of hearing. If they can't hear it, you can't go on. You can't tell them, you can't tell them other things. They are unskilled. They're unskilled in the, in the word of righteousness. And that's what he is talking about here. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now that word of righteousness is just as good for me as it is for Roshan, as, as it is for my wife, as it is for me. It's just as good for everybody. No matter who you are, it is just as good. But what you do with it, that's a whole nother matter. It's what you do with it. You need to, just because you go out and you get the best tool, doesn't mean you will do as good as somebody who showed you how to use it on TV. You ever see somebody guys that, they go out there and they get that nice little saw and they show you how they can make this cut. Oh, all I need to be able to make that cut is I need that saw. And so you call up and you say, I want one of those saws. And that saw comes in and you get that saw. And you get it out of the box, you charge it up, you do whatever you have to do, and you go on out there and you try and make that cut, and it don't look anything like it did on TV. <laughs> it's not as straight, it doesn't get the, the curves the way that you needed to do. Whatever it was that you were supposed to do, it just didn't seem to quite do it the way that you wanted. Somehow it, it, just, it just wasn't right. Now there's a difference in tools. There's a, you know, I can speak to ex- experience on this. There are some tools that are just, you know, they're, they're tools. And there's other tools, I mean, that's a tool. That's a tool. When we first got started, you know, we were making bunk beds and stuff like that. My first router was a Craftsman router. And I had that Craftsman router. And I, I thought, man, this is good. This is good. And then after a while, you know, the Craftsman router broke. And we've been doing a lot of things with stuff. So I went out and I got myself a Bosch. I didn't get any Bosch. I could tell you the model number. For most parts, it would be Greek to you. You wouldn't know what it was. But I have the Bosch router I have the cream of the crop. I have the best. It's not the most expensive router you can get. It is just the best. It is the workhorse. I've had this thing, I believe, for about 15 years. And it looks brand new. And it cuts everything just as well as it did before. I was having a little bit of trouble with it, though, in the, in the shop last week. And uh, the, the, it was going off of me. I had to pull it out, take it apart, and, and, and clean it out. It says, oh, just in case, I'm going to get a switch. So I ordered a new switch. Fourteen ninety-five. I got two switches, and and I got it ready for me to to uh, replace anytime that thing goes. But that thing is working good. I don't want to ever replace it. I mean, it's got nice crafted hand wooden handles, real wood, real good wood, carved. Just just it just oh, it feels so good just to hold it. It's far better than that Craftsman was. But if you don't have the skill that someone's showing you how to use that tool, it won't, it won't do any good for you. 
just like in the kitchen. You could get the best frying pan there is and watch the person on the TV make that frying pan, cook up all sorts of stuff, and then you get that frying pan, get it on home, and it's not working quite as well because you don't know some of the nuances of how to, how to cook that, how to make that thing happen. You've got to become skilled in righteousness. You've got to become skilled with the Word of God. You can't just recite stuff. You've got to know what it means. You've got to have an understanding. You've got to operate in this. And he goes on to uh, talk about some more. But let me uh, fill this part. When Christians expect others to do what they should do for themselves, they have become dull in prayer, authority, and works. Three things. When Christians expect others to do what they should do for themselves, they have become dull in prayer, dull in authority. They're not taking their authority. They want somebody else to. And dull in work. So I'm not doing the things that I should be doing. I'm letting somebody else do it. We were watching. We had the, the kids over for a little while yesterday. And uh, one of the things they love to do when they come over after we've played all the games and done a little stuff and they're a little tired and they want to you know, rest up a little bit, the request that all three of them get, can we watch Daniel Tiger? How many have no idea who Daniel Tiger is? Anybody? No idea. All right. Do you, do you remember a show called Mr. Rogers? All right. If you remember Mr. Rogers, you know Daniel Tiger. Because Daniel Tiger is one of the puppets. And what they did in Daniel Tiger is they took all the puppets of Mr. Rogers and they brought them to life. And Daniel Tiger is merely the Mr. Rogers show in cartoon form. <laughs> Even down to the red sweater and the shoes. Now, see, most of the people, they see him put on the red sweater and the shoes, and they don't think anything about it. But we know Mr. Rogers. And we see the red sweater. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm thinking of Mr. Rogers with the red sweater. And I'm thinking Mr. Rogers when he cha always changed his shoes out. <laughs> but that was a good show. Uh, but Daniel Tiger is a nice show. So we were sitting there watching with him yesterday. And um, I think I just watched my absolute favorite episode of Daniel Tiger. And so we were watching this thing, and it came up with the song, and I was asking my granddaughter, I said, can you remember how that song went? And she's thinking, no, I can't remember it either. But it was about this. I said, yeah, yeah, I know it's about that. I, I just can't remember the tune. So I cannot sing the tune for you. I wouldn't do it anyway. <laughs> but, but the tune was, uh, the, the whole theme of the, the show, because it did the same thing Mr. Rogers does. They give a theme to the show, and they come up with, with these uh, uh, stupid little catchy tunes that would teach people things, you know, that... Uh, one of the ones that our kids used to, or the grandkids used to, just all the time, uh, about trying new things. They had a little little jingo about trying new things. And so they had to go out there and try new things. And so whenever they faced a food that they didn't like, Daniel Tiger would sing the song. Got to try new things. And I can't think of all the things, how, how, how the song went, but he would always sing. They sang that song, I would say, in a half-hour show 15 times. And so you would get that thing down, but they were trying to get this, this across. So they, they came up with a song and the mom was going to come over and help Daniel Tiger do something. They says, no, wait a minute. You're old enough. Figure it out. I'm old enough? I can figure it out. And the song basically told them that. I'm old enough. I can figure it out. And so they would figure out whether they should share. They would figure out whether they should help. They would figure out what they should do. And all through the show, they were finding situations. Oh, I can figure this out. I'm old enough. And they would figure out a nice solution that worked for everybody, and they would, they would come out. So you've never seen the show, 
if you have little kids, it's a good show. There isn't too much out. Sesame Street has gone to pot. Holy cow. Saw a couple of those things. Dear Lord, I don't even think I'd bring that into my home anymore. That is, uh, that is something. Then we have a little granddaughter who just absolutely loves Elmo. Always wants to hear his song. And so you bring little bits and pieces out. But boy, that, that show is not what it used to be. Don't expect other people to do what you're supposed to be doing that's going to hinder your maturity. Don't always be calling up, Oh, I got a need. I'm going to call so-and-so to pray for me. No, there's a time that you need to stand up and pray for yourself. I'm going to call so-and-so to take authority over this. Over this. No, there's a time you need to take authority on that thing yourself. There's a time you need to stand up and do it. And if you keep going over there and rely on somebody, you are not growing. And that person who's doing it for you is not letting you grow either. Whatever, whenever we become dull in something, this is in your outline, you can fill this in if you want, we will continue to operate at a much lower level than is expected of and available to us. Whenever we become dull in something, we will continue to operate at a much lower level than is expected of and available to us. If you are out there cutting down a tree with a chainsaw, and you have a dull blade. You don't ever need to have used a chainsaw to know you're not cutting down that tree very quick. And if you've used a chainsaw, you know how to determine whether the blade is dull. Do you know? But most people can figure out, how do you determine if a chainsaw blade is dull? When it can't get through the wood very fast. That's it. As soon as it doesn't go through the wood very fast, guess what? New blade, change out the blade, sharpen the blade, something. And so, you don't know that until you're midway through, the, through the, the deal. And so, I just keep extra chainsaw blades around. And then take them out and get them sharpened. And then they're there. And so, as soon as the thing goes bad, well, you pull it off. You put a new one on. And you can go at it. It's like hot butter through, or hot knife through butter. It's just right on through. Because you have to change them out. You've gotten dull. If you find in your Christian walk that something's not working the way you think it should, the way it used to be, more than likely, you have become dull. If you have become dull, that means you think the teacher is off, you think the topic, I don't need to know any more about that, I've got that topic down, or you think the truth, what is truth, is false. You've got to fix that. Now, this is like, if you have become dull, this is likely because we are under the wrong high priest. You see, Jesus is your high priest. If you go after God in a different way than the way Jesus has presented it, you are under a wrong high priest. And the devil has lots of high priests he'd like to get you under. He'd like to get you under the high priest of works. He'd like to get you under the high priest of self-importance. And the list would go on. But that's not the high priest that we serve. You could be under the wrong high priest or you are not striving. Luke 13, 24 says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. That means you can enter through a gate, but it won't be the narrow one. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Colossians 1.29, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works to, in me mightily. 
I also labor, striving according to his working. If you're going to do the things for God, there's going to be some times when there's some work involved. There's some striving. Hebrews 12.4 Have you not yet resisted the bloodshed? Striving against sin. It's not always easy. I was listening to somebody the other day and I'm trying to remember who it was. I can't remember which one, but um, they, they made a statement. It was profound. If you are going to walk the faith walk, it may be that you have to walk in faith at a time. Right? Sometimes we think I'm going to walk the faith walk and everything is going to be great. Everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be fine. No, if you are going to walk the faith walk, there's going to be times you have to walk in faith. Which means, I'm not exactly sure where this is going. I'm not exactly sure that, that oh, I can't see all the results. I can't see all the way. I can't see all the support. But God said to go. So we go. If you're going to walk the faith walk, you've got to walk in faith sometimes. You've got to be in faith. Don't, uh, don't lose sight of that. So he says you ought to be teachers, but instead you are students. And once you need to go back to the elementary teachings. The reason they have to go back to the elementary teachings is because in pursuing things, they pursued them wrong. And they're doing things wrong now. But we must get the developmental milk. You have to get what it accomplishes before you can move on to solid food. If all we can handle is the milk of the word, we are unskilled, is what he says. It comes from the Greek word to mean unacquainted with, something inexperienced in, or untried. This is the only New Testament example. In the Old Testament Septuagint translation, it does use the word to translate foolish shepherds in Zechariah 11 and 15. And barren land in Jeremiah 2 and 6. An untried or experienced with the land. Let's go on here. Let me go back again to verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those by whom... Those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, if you can only handle the milk elementary parts of God's Word, your skill level will suffer. You will not become as good at things if that's all that you can do is handle some milk. That's it. Solid food is not for everyone. But if you take the solid food, you will grow. You all know those babies... Once they get on the solid food, they start growing. They start putting on some weight. They start getting taller, uh, plumper. Because milk won't, by itself, it won't do that to you. But you start getting in some solid food, you'll start to solidify. Now, I put this in your outline twice only because I copied over some notes from another place and um, ended up not seeing that I copied that in. So just ignore one of them. But those who by reason of use... Those who by reason of use, the Greek word is, here is hexis. It means practice, habit, or use. A thoroughly established habit or skill achieved through repetition. A thoroughly 
established habit or skill achieved through repetition. How many have a certain habit in your life? And you got that because you do it all the time. You do it all the time. Sometimes those habits are things like uh, drinking coffee in the morning. That can be a habit. And you, you immediately go to it. And you practice that every day. I mean, you're real good at it already, but you still continue to practice it. Some of you have uh, done that first size uh, challenge that we did. And so that you get that habit in that the first thing that you read, the first thing that you look at in the morning is the Word of God. Read your chapter a day or uh, get into something. Some people have a habit that when something they're unsure about, something goes wrong, they immediately go into prayer. Got to understand this. God, I need wisdom on this. And they go into prayer. Other people, they have a habit of complaining when facing those things. Or being in fear. Becoming fearful. That's a habit, that's a skill that you learn through repetition. How many of you know some people who are extremely skilled at becoming fearful? I mean, they're good at it. As soon as something happens, bam, they are fearful. And they begin to talk fearful words. Oh, no. Oh, if that happens, oh. What? And they begin to, that, that's, that's their skill. They are good at it. It's not a good skill to have, but it's a skill that they have, have worked to possess. Have you ever uh, run into people who, no matter what you bring up, will find something negative? That is a skill. That did not happen overnight. They have worked at that skill. And they continue to work at it every day. As soon as they hear something, they immediately find the negative in it. You, you have people in your life like that? And you've learned, don't say anything to them. Don't bring it up to them. They're going to find something wrong with it. They're going to find a reason to become fearful. He says, those who by reason of use, those who by reason of use, he is speaking here, about you need to go over the elementary principles from the Word of God again. You need to get into the elementary things, and they're, they're probably saying, no, no, I've got that down. Now, when I was going to Ramah, and we would watch people, there was an attitude that pervaded the, the, the school there. Uh, it was a wrong attitude, but it was one that uh, came through and pretty much hit the entire campus. I imagine then the successful ones did as well, because students were coming in, and they wanted to appear to be spiritual. This was not a school to teach you the Bible. This was a school to teach you ministry. In fact, a lot of times they would come out and they would say, if you came here to learn the Bible, go home. They said that to us. They said, we're not here to teach you the Bible. We expect you already know the Bible by the time you get here. And we're to take what you already know and move on. Now, I had gone to Bible school before I had gone there, so and I'd studied the Bible a lot on my, my own, so I just laughed and I said, yeah, I, I could see where that would be a problem. <laughs> but people, they would come on in and they would say, all right, we're going to talk about righteousness today. And they would hoot and holler. Oh, yeah, yeah, righteousness. Oh, yeah, yeah, righteousness. Like it was the first time they heard it. And I just, I listened to them going, I said, why in the world are they hooting and hollering? Now, I didn't get to a place where, well, I already know everything there is about no righteousness. I said, no. I said, I understand righteousness. I understand some things about it. But I may learn something new. Go ahead Fire away. Teach it. And so I sit back there, and I was, I was eager to learn something new, 
but I didn't get overly excited. I came to find out later on that the people who got overly excited tried to portray an air that was not true. They tried to portray an air that, oh, we're going to learn something new today. Oh, we're going to get into something new. That wasn't always the case. Always, I'm always ready to learn something new. But it doesn't mean that, that we have to hear it again. Sometimes I listen to some people who are preachers and they, they tell the same stories. You ever have certain ones They tell the same stories every time they preach, it seems. And uh, there are some Brother Hagin stories. I can hear him tell the same story over and over and over because there's always a spiritual meaning behind it. And I can't say that I've always gotten it. There's something that God was teaching them. There's something that was, was going on with that. But other people, it's just a nice story. I heard it one time. I got it. Let's move on. You know, so if he wants to teach it a second time, third time down the road, that's fine. But I need a little bit of space between each time that I heard it. Um, it's not spiritual to just say, well, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be one of those people who's going to hear something out of this. May not. There are some things in the Word of God that you can acknowledge, I have learned this. I'm not saying I can't learn anything more, but I do know that I have learned this. I know some things about righteousness. I know some things about the cross. And it's, uh, I don't mind hearing it again. Give it to me again. Renew me on those things. I can get excited about renewing it, me on, on the thing again. But I don't have to necessarily come out of there with something new. But people will come out of the class and they'll say, Oh, wasn't that good? Well, yeah, but I, I heard this before. I, I've learned these things. I've been walking in these things. Haven't you been walking in these things? I mean, if you walk in these things, you, it, it shouldn't be that new to you. And I came out a little bit puzzled at them. But he, again, he's talking about, I put these, I think I left these characteristics in there, in your outline. But they're talking about babes. If you have a babe, if you have a, a young one, there are certain characteristics of babies. First off, they are helpless. They need maximum attention. A baby is helpless. As they get older, they get less helpless, but they're still fairly helpless. No solid food. Lack ability to discern value. Now, if you're wondering what we mean on that, they do not understand that your cell phone is a very valuable object. And if they get angry, they will launch it across the room. Because to them, the cell phone is of the same value as their sippy cup. And there's no problem with launching something if we want to launch it. They cannot discern value. People that are babes in Christ cannot discern the value of one teaching over another. They cannot discern the value of meat over milk. They cannot discern the value of what Jesus was teaching at times. And they would just say, scoff it off and then go off to something else. They couldn't discern the value. And they use emotion to get in their way. Babies are very emotional. If they're feeling something, they let you know. If they're not happy, they cry. If they want something, they scream. They throw fits. They do all sorts of stuff. They get the emotion out there. They express their displeasure to get food. When they're real, real young babies, they can't form words to say what they want, so they use emotion. And some babies... Some Christians are still babies. They still use emotion. They don't use words. They demand constant attention. And they require entertainment. You've got to entertain babies. 
As they get older, they begin to entertain themselves, right? You ought to see Chenzo. Chenzo's great. Chenzo, he's, he's, he's kind of got a good mix in there going. He loves to come on over and to, and to snuggle up with you and to be affectionate. And, and there's times that he needs that. And there's other times that he just said, leave me alone. And he goes over and he plays with his trucks. And he'll play with them for an hour. N no one talks to him. No one needs to talk to him. No one needs to entertain him. He's just there and he's his own little world. And then after a while, he'll come out of that little world and want to come over with you and, and play for a little bit. But he kind of goes back and forth. He, he does a little bit of, of all those things. And, but he, you know, babies don't start off that way. Solid food belongs to those who are full age, he says. Full age or mature. It comes from the Greek word to mean properly brought to its end, finished, lacking nothing necessarily to completeness. That's Thayer's definition. Properly brought to its end, finished, lacking nothing necessary to completeness. In Matthew 5.48, it is translated perfect. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, it's not perfect as in spotless, without blame. That's perfect as in you have brought to a place of being finished. There is nothing that you lack. That's a play, apparently a place we can get to. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. So again, he's not saying blameless, not needing a Savior. He's saying if you want to get to the place where you've been brought to an end, where you have been finished, this is what you need to do. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, those who have been brought to an end, those who are lacking nothing to completeness. People that need to get artificially excited about something, these people have not been brought to an end. There is not a completeness that is there. There's something that is lacking. There's something that is missing, and they're trying to use these things to, to fulfill it. Just because you hear a teaching doesn't mean that you have to go, oh boy, oh, this is so great. No, I know that stuff. I've been taught that. I know Jesus is my healer. But go ahead and teach me again, because there might be something that comes that I understand better than I understood before. Go ahead and teach it to me again. I might see something differently. Go ahead, teach it to me again. I'm not dull of hearing. I don't shut it down. But don't tell me that I don't know this. I do know it. But I know there's more I can learn. And so we go out there to pursue to learn more. Now, he talks about... Here, let's read over that, that verse here again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You need someone to teach you again the, the first principles of the oracles of God. They needed someone to go over this again with them. Now, we know that hearing, or faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We know that that is a, that is a truth, that I need to hear some things. But what is more important hearing how to do something or doing it. If you are going to learn how to do a skill on your job, is the most important thing hearing how to do it or is the most important thing doing it? Now here's an example you can all relate to. If I were to give you directions on how to get to a place in the city of Philadelphia, and you do not live in the city of Philadelphia, then I were to give you directions. 
and the directions involved, let's say, 12 different turns. And I describe each one of those turns to you and tell you how to, to get there and how to, how to do this. Are you prepared to do it? Now, if I were to go over and say, well, look, let me start all over. I'll give it to you again. And I tell you again how to do it. Are you prepared? Well, maybe a little bit more. But what prepares you the most to know how to make that trip? Making the trip. If you made the trip with someone and sat uh, next to them while they did it, then you have not only the verbal instruction, but I have the doing it. Now, I don't know if this works for you, but it sure works for me. Most of the people I talk to, if you are in the passenger seat on a trip and you were going to go from here to a place in Philadelphia and you were in the passenger seat, how many of you could become unaware of some turns, some landmarks? If you were in the driver's seat, would that happen? No, because doing it is far superior to getting you ready than hearing it. I need to hear it. There needs to be a hearing. If I don't hear the directions, I won't be doing it right. And just because I'm doing something doesn't mean I'm doing it right, and you can learn how to do it wrong. You've got you you to know how to, how to make this work. The best thing to do is to do it and to go. When I was, um, I think I t- shared this story with you before, but when I was learning Keltzer's horse riders, I was learning the routes, and they had all these different routes that we were supposed to do. And there was a truck, and the first truck I started with and, uh, with them is a UPS truck. And we just painted them differently. But they had the same kind of doors, you know, the doors that slid into the thing. And, and uh, I loved driving on down the road with the door open. I was so surprised when they first did it. I said, you're allowed to do this? Yeah. Sure enough, you are. No seatbelt on either. <laughs> just drive it on down the road. Door wide open. Other door wide open. You know, there's no air conditioning in this thing. And we're just driving on down. But when I first was learning, they had one seat in the truck. That's the driver's seat. There's no other seat. So I'm driving around to learn the route. Well, the best place to be is the driver's seat. But the boss was showing me the route. And the other seat in the vehicle was a folding beach chair. A folding beach chair. Now, you know what a beach chair is. beach chair sits low to the ground. And it folds up. And so I was sitting, and the boss isn't going to sit in the low to the ground folding up chair. There's no seatbelt on this thing. I was sitting in the low to the ground fold up chair. He's driving around where I'm supposed to go. I can't see where I'm supposed to go. I'm not making the turns. I'm learning nothing. But when he put those brakes on, that fold up chair folded up. Oh, man, my worst experience with that was one time they were showing me the thing. And uh, I know I told you this story. Most of you have heard it. And these, these things are not set up with heaters that heat the, uh, the area because you have the entire area of the truck, cargo as well as where the driver is. All gets heated by the, the heater that comes out. And so all it really does is blow heat on you. And I was learning this in the month of January. And so it was cold. And so if you were not in the driver's seat, you get no heat. I was not in the driver's seat. I was in the fold-up beach chair that sits back a little ways. 
And uh, I remember one day, uh, for some reason, the church I was at, I, I don't know what got into them. Uh, they must have been desperate, but they requisitioned me to lead worship on that particular Wednesday night service. And so I had to get in there and, and lead worship. Uh, Brian, you've met Brian. Brian was playing on the piano. Why? Just get Brian. I mean, come on. The guy is, I don't know what, I still do not know to this day why it was. I just know that I was there. And so I was up there trying to lead worship. Now, first off, I'm not skilled in it. Secondly, I was so cold from the drive that an hour afterwards, I'm in the church trying to, I'm still shivering uncontrollably. I mean, I'm up there with the microphone trying to lead the worship and just, just shivering. The cold had gotten through me so much, I was convinced I'm in the wrong job. I need to change jobs. <laughs> this is no good. But I didn't learn any of those routes until I got into the driver's seat. There's a, there needs to be a doing. You can't just be hearing. You need to have a doing. And that's what he is talking about here in this verse. When he says, but solid food belongs to those who are full age, those who by reason of use, reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We got to get into that place where there is a, there is some use that is going on. I've got to do it. I cannot just be a hearer. I have to be a doer. That ought to be in the Bible somewhere. I believe it is. We cannot be just merely hearers. I've got to be a doer. Of the two, the doing is more important. But if I don't be a hearer first, I won't do it right. And all the doing I do won't teach me anything because I'm doing it wrong. Now, take a look at this. How are you, if someone was to stand up and to teach you, that complaining is not good, but we are to rejoice in the Lord. How many, how often? Always. If someone were to come in and to teach you not complaining, but rejoice in the Lord always, we would say, Amen. But then when we go out into the world, what are we doing? What are we practicing? If I hear, don't be a complainer, be a doer. If I hear, don't be a complainer, be a rejoicer. And I go out, and I'm not doing that. I can hear it all I want to until I get in there and start practicing it. Until I go, in, go out there and start to rejoice always instead of complaining. I am not being skilled. And, get this, if I keep hearing and not doing, I will become a dull hearer. I will become dull of it. People will teach me some things about it, and I'll say, well, yeah, that's all good, but you don't know what I face. You don't know what's going on in my life. Ah, we have a dull hearer. That's how we fall into it. Here's a hit about this one. We all know the Word of God says to be thinking the best in others, right? How many know that the Word of God teaches us think the best of others? Don't assume bad stuff. Don't think bad things. Assume the good things, assume there are good things. We all know that. We've all heard it. We can all quote the verses of Scripture. But then when we get out there and we hear something, what do we do? Do we practice it? No. You will get skilled in the things that you do, not 
in the things that you hear. You will get skilled in the things that you do, not the things that you hear. If you think that you have become skilled by what you hear only, you have become a dull hearer. You become dull in your hearing. You become good at what you do through repetition, through constantly doing the, the thing. There's got to be repetition. Now, every single person here has a job. You have some things that you do in that job that excel, that are better because you repetitively do it. Because you're always out there working these things and doing these things. There are some things that I can do just with the, with the bunk beds. I can find defects in wood from across the room. I can be standing a piece over here and I got a piece standing over here and out of the corner of my eye, wait, that one needs some putty. Just that, I, I walk over to it. Yep, sure enough. See that little neck right there? Little spot, not quite right. I can, I work with, a lot of times with gloves on to keep my hands protected from the splitters. But I can feel things in the wood. When I'm planing the wood, I got gloves on and I run it through the planer. But I can still tell with my gloves on whether that thing needs another pass. I don't need to take them off. I can tell. I can tell by seeing some things. Oh, wait a minute. I got a defect over here. That's why I gave that praise report. The, the one that split, it got past me. There was a defect in there, and it caused the thing to split. It got past me. I don't get many that get past me. I usually see it. But that one got past me. The thing split. See, there's something that you're skilled in. The reason that you're skilled in it is because you repetitively do it. You might have some repetitive skills you do in cooking or in baking, repetitive skills you do in cleaning, repetitive skills you do with a car, repetitive skills that you do with painting, repetitive skills that you do outside, just things that you do all the time, and you have repeated it, repeated it, repeated it, and you're so good at it, you can just do it with your eyes closed almost. That's how it gets done. I've got to hear how to do it, but then I have to go out there and do it. We hear that we should worship and praise the Lord. We hear that I should be a praiser, that I need to be a worshiper. I hear it all the time, but am I practicing it? If you are not a doer in the area of worship and praise, you have become a hearer only, and you are unskilled in the area of worship and praise. Well, amen anyway. <laughs> so again it's those who by reason of use practice habit or use now it also says that uh, pull that up on the screen for me there we go but solitude belongs to those who are full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The word there, exercise, comes from the Greek word gumnazo, which also comes from the Greek word gumnas. Gumnas is practice naked. That's right. That's what it means. The Greeks very often would do wrestling and such things naked. That's how they did it. The, the women didn't come out to these things. It was just the men. And they, they wrestled naked. Uh, I don't know, I don't know why that would drive me away from the sport. 
I don't want to be in the pen with a naked guy. I don't want to be in the pen naked myself. There, there's just nothing about it. I wouldn't want to go and watch it. It just, it would just it would drive me crazy. But that's what they did. And so what they, this word came to mean is being all in. You were completely given over to this. When you exercised, you didn't just train. You exercised just like you're going to be doing this thing. They exercised naked. They got ready for this thing the way they were going to do it. Now, the New Testament uses this word not only negatively, but also positively. Or not only positively, but also negatively, I should say. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. There's a positive one. 2 Peter 2, 14, Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. A heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. These folks have become skilled. There's a lot of people, they have become skilled liars. They are so good at it, they even convince themselves that the lie is the truth. They are skilled at these things. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or those who have been brought to a place of completion. That is, those who by reason of use, by reason of use, by, by the reason of constantly repeating the thing that they learn to do, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, when you read the last part of that verse, do you have the same first thought that I did? My first thought when I read that, that verse is to go back into the book of Genesis and the temptation of Eve. God knows in the day that you eat of it that you will know both good and evil. Now his promise was that you would know both good and evil. The promise of this verse is that you would discern between good and evil. There's a lot of Christians out there that have not become skilled in the word of righteousness and cannot, cannot discern between good and evil. No, that can't be possibly true. Yes, it is. There are some people who will look at people in the world, they'll look at leaders in the world, and they'll say, I see God using them. I've seen some of that, and I just laughed at you. You've got to be kidding me. There's a wrong spirit all over that person. I don't care what their words are. Sometimes their words, they come out, and they have these great flowering words, and they talk about God, and they talk about all the things they believe in God, and, and so forth. And no. You see, when you get skilled in the word of righteousness, you can discern between those things. You can discern both good and evil. You see, it won't help me a whole lot if all I discern is good. I've got to discern the evil as well. I've got to see where the evil is to discern it, to know it's there, and get it out. I wrote down in your outline this. There are three types of immature believers. Three types of immature believers. There are those who are growing. You got to start somewhere. If you're going to go out and get a dog, generally you have to start off getting a puppy. You get a puppy, puppies are immature. Puppies chew on things. 
Puppies mess up stuff. If you're going to do that, you got, if you're going to get a puppy, you got to put up with some puppy things. If you're going to be a new believer, you got to put up with some immaturity that's going to be there. But they're growing. You don't mind putting up with immaturity with your kids as long as they're growing. The things that they did at one, you, don't, you didn't mind that they did it. But if they tried it when they were five, you wouldn't, you wouldn't tolerate it. Three types of immature believers. Those who are growing. Secondly, those who have fallen away. They have fallen away from the things of God. They still see themselves as believers, but they have fallen away. Third, those who have been detoured. God has a way for you to be, be brought about, but you have been detoured. That'd be like the weeds got in there. They just, well, you lost all your focus. Now, how do we distinguish this third group and even the second group? How do we distinguish those from the ones that are growing? Now, I got this list here. I've given you this list in the past at least once before. If you, you probably won't be able to write it down all, but if you are interested in it, like I did last week, you can uh, ask me, and I will email them over to you. First off, mature people are those who know who they are. A mature person knows their strengths. They know their weaknesses. They know who they are. They're comfortable with who they are. They don't try and be who they're not. Because I know who I am, and I just try and be who I am. They don't need to inform anyone else about who they are. I am who I am, and I don't need to go around telling everybody about who I am. If you've got a boss at work, and they're always going around telling you, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. More than likely, this is not a mature boss. They don't care about who recognizes who they are. They're not looking for recognition. They don't defend their maturity. They don't use their natural draw to control or exploit people. Some people do. But a person who is mature, they don't use their natural draw to control or exploit people. Jesus had a natural draw to him, but he didn't use it to control or exploit anyone. They raise up people who stand on their own, not people dependent on their support. There are some people in the Christian church, they always want people to depend on them. They don't want to train them up, teach them how to stand on their own, how to believe God on their own, how to learn the Word on their own. They don't want to do that. They want to, no, you need to depend on me. Just call me, I'll help you with that. No, that is not how you're supposed to be. A mature person will not do that. A mature person will bring them into the maturity that they are. If you have two immature parents, that child is going to grow up with some problems because they are not going to bring them to a place of maturity. They're going to bring them to a place of wrong dependence. See, maturity, the goal of a mature person is to bring people to maturity, not expand their influence. They have a good grip on their strengths and their weaknesses, and they feed people what is needed for their growth. They don't feed people what is needed to make them, them themselves look good. They feed them what is needed for their growth. I'm not trying to get you to see how smart I am. I'm not trying to get you to see how skilled I am. I'm not trying to get you to see any of these. I'm not trying to make myself. Jesus didn't go out trying to make himself look to everyone else so smart, so much better. He tried to get them to a place of maturity, and he gave them what they needed for that. 
They instill trust and belief in other people. Immature leaders will not instill trust and belief in others. And they, they work to be who they are in the body. I'm, this is my part in the body. I am a arm. I am a hand. I am a whatever it is. And I'm going to be that part. I don't try and be a foot. I don't try and be a leg. I don't try and be anything. I try and be what God has called me to be. Because first off, I know who I am. Immature are looking for help. Always looking for help. Always, always, always looking for help. The immature child, mom, make me a sandwich. Mom, get me a glass of milk. Mom, that's the immature. Always looking for help. They cannot discern between those who are harmful or not. They can't discern between good and evil. That little child generally will trust all sorts of people. That's why we generally teach children to beware of strangers. We don't teach them to beware of evil people. If you don't know them, get away. Because we don't trust their ability to discern good and evil. Because we know that people will be able to put one over on them. They are self-seeking. Always after what is good for me. What will help me. They're easily influenced. One week I'm believing that this is great. Next week somebody teaches me something different. I believe that's great. Easily influenced. They admit weaknesses more readily. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I can't do that. Oh yeah, well, I can't do that. Oh no, I can't do that. Very hard for them to, to admit a strength, but they'll admit weaknesses very, very readily because I want other people to come over and help me. If you go up to that child and say, get the milk yourself, I can, I'm too short. I can, I might spill it. Very easy to admit their weaknesses. Don't always eat what they should. Babies or immature people, they don't always eat what they should. You should be eating this. You should be getting some of this, but you're not. You're over here taking this stuff in. And they also eat what is fed to them. Babies will eat whatever is fed to them. They'll eat whatever they find. If they find something on the ground, guess where it's going? It goes in the mouth. Because babies don't discern good and evil. They don't discern this is a good thing to eat, not a good thing to eat. But as you mature, you're supposed to be able to discern those things. Immature people, here's my third group, immature people who think they are mature need others to affirm them. Mature people don't need that, but immature people who think they are mature, they need other people to affirm them. Did I do okay? Was that good? Did that come across well? Are bragging on who they wish they were. Think they are or desire others to see them as. They're out there bragging on the thing. You know, if you, um, if you were to take, if you heard uh, some young boys who think they are all that but aren't quite, and if you ever hear them tell a story of something they did, you will find out that story is not completely accurate. It is more a story of what they imagined they did and how heroic they think they were not what actually happened. A lot of times, immature people who are posing as mature will talk about their own spiritual exercises, their prayer life, their understanding of the Word, the way they think it should be, the way they wish it was, but not how it actually is. They get mad at those who won't see them this way. If you don't see me in the mature context of which I'm telling you I am, then I'm going to get mad at you. A mature person... You think what you want of me. I don't care. 
I know who I am. I'm comfortable in that. And I know what God wants me to do. And if you see it differently, well, then you go ahead and see it differently. But a person who is immature but thinks they are mature, this will give them away. You can tell, cannot come to grips with weakness as that might cause people to dislike or accept them. See, an immature person, I'm okay, I'm weak here. I don't know what this is. But an immature person trying to pass themselves off as mature, I cannot come to grips with weakness as that might cause people to dislike me. That might cause people not to accept me. I don't want to have that going on. Influence is their goal, not growth. An immature person who sees themselves as mature wants influence, not growth. I want to influence people. I don't care about growing myself. They want people to be, to be dependent on them. A mature person will never tolerate this. But an immature person trying to pass themselves off as a mature person will want people to be dependent on them. They, they disguise self-seeking. They look like they're others-minded, but they're not. They're self-seeking. They pass off things that are self-seeking as going after other people, helping other people. They undermine the work of maturity, constantly are undermining the work of maturity. Oh, you don't have to do that. I'll do it. If you had somebody come on over to your house and you're trying to get your kids to make their own sandwich, get their own milk, and that person comes over to the house, oh, mommy won't get that for you. I'll get it for you. See, an immature person trying to pass off themselves as a mature will undermine the work of maturity. That's the thing they, do, they will do. Because if you become mature, you won't depend on them. Some people, they want to come in the house, they want that child to depend on them for everything. They, they like that. They're self-seeking. They say, I'm trying to help the child. No, you're trying to help yourself. They feed others what puffs themselves up. They tell them stories about how good they are. They puff themselves up so they look smarter. They instill distrust and unbelief in outsiders to keep people under their own influence. And they try to be everything regardless of their place or their gift. I may be an arm, but I'm trying to be a hand, a finger, a shoulder, a leg, a foot. Whatever is needed, I will try and be that in that moment to get people to depend on me. That's our three groups of people there. In order to grow... I must know some things. First off, I must know where I am. If I'm going to grow, I've got to know where I am. How immature am I? Where am I on the scale of growth? I've got to have a realistic view of where I am at. I can't overestimate my immaturity and put myself way down there on the list because then I won't do some things that I'm ready to be doing. I won't be taking on some of the teaching that I should be getting. I'll still be down there in the area of milk instead of in the area of meat. I need to know where I am, how immature am I. I need to know where I'm going. That's what maturity is. Maturity is where I'm going. I want to be mature. I don't want to be in a place of influence only. I want to be in a place of maturity and influence the people that maturity can help. I need to know where I'm going. Third, what I will do along the way. What am I supposed to be doing along the way to get myself ready? I want to know these things, so I keep them in front of me. While I'm reading the Word, I'm listening to things, but I'm going out there and I'm doing it. I'm writing stuff down. This is something I need to get in the, the habit of. This is something I need to have practiced. I need to, to, to get going. You know, if you ask Matt, Matt is passionate about lifting and, and weights, but he likes, you know, the, the bands. 
And it doesn't take you too long to talk with Matt to find out he has a passion for these bands. He loves what these things can do. But even with whatever it is you're doing, there's a form. And if you work with him, he'll show you, no, watch this. You're trying to cheat over here. You're trying to do something over here. And whenever he would learn something new on this, he would, he would learn it. He would instill it. He would repetitively do it to get it down. Isn't that, isn't that right? You have to repetitively do it because I know I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. But no, I've learned something new. And so when he learned something new in this area of working on these bands or stuff, he would, I don't know if you used the mirror, but I know some guys will stand behind a mirror and just watch themselves on the mirror doing the thing. Oh no, I'm, doing, I'm falling back on that thing again. I got to get that, that form right. I got to do it the right way or it won't benefit in that. And by constantly going and repetitively doing it, you learn how to do it right. What I will do along the way. And last, when I get there. I need to know where I am, where I'm going, what I will do along the way, and I need to know when I get there. See, when I get to a stage, I need to say, oh, I got to this stage. Glory to God, I'm, I'm here. I'm no longer where I was, I'm now here. I've got to understand that. And now I'm moving on to the next, to the next spot. These are things that we need to be, be viewing and be, be careful of. The Word is going to be sown into us. I've got to sure that the enemies of what it is that it comes against the Word does not steal the Word from me does not choke the word from me, does not scorch the word from me. I got to make sure that I keep that protected and I got to go out there and I got to do it. I got to be a doer. Be looking for people that are mature. Looking for people that meet the, the, the uh, description of a mature person. Those are the people that you want to have in front of you. Those are the people that you want to learn from. Those are the people that you want to model. Not the people that are led about by emotion. The people that are led about what God has shown them what God has told them, what God is operating in their life. These are the things we need to, to have in front because I want to get to that place of maturity. There's a place that you should be. And God says you ought to be here, but you're here. We've got to close that gap. We've got to get there. Because if God expects me to be here, there was a way for me to get there. And if I'm not there, then He can't use me for things that He would like to use me for. Am I getting frustrated well, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my purpose is. It's because probably I haven't gotten to the part where he can put that on me, that he can do that thing for me. Moses became dull of hearing for his call and it delayed him for uh, at least 30 years. He heard it, but he became dull of hearing to it. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that your goal is to grow us into maturity. Not just that we become an encyclopedia of good facts and good things to know in the Word, but, Father, we come into a knowledge of God, of what we are to do. And we don't just learn it, we do it. We practice it. We get out there and with repetition, over and over and over, the things that we learn in your Word, we put it into practice and put it into practice and put it into practice. We focus on that thing. We say, I will make sure that today I am rejoicing in the Lord always. I am not complaining. I will make sure that today I am thinking the best of other people. I'm not letting those wrong thoughts to get, get in. I'm going out today, setting my, my focus on not worrying. I've had an old habit of worrying and becoming anxious, but I'm not going to do that. Every time that comes into me, I'm going to cast it out. I'm going to do some things on that. Father, I thank you that you help us on this journey, that we will go in the way of becoming mature. We will go in the way of growing. 
And just as the word was sown in our heart, we will make sure that we are attentive to it, to bring it to a place where it will produce 30, and it will produce 60, and it will produce a hundredfold. I thank you for it and give you the praise and the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Don't just uh, take this into your prayer life. It's good if you take a, a commitment and you say, God, I am going to commit to doing your word more. But you got to do some, you got to practice some things. What are you going to do? You can't do it all, but you got to take something. What is it that you need to really focus on to make sure that you get? We've hit a couple of them. It may be something different. It may be one of those. But you can't take 10 and 12 and focus on 10 or 12. But you can take one or two. And you can focus on that. And if the devil tries to bring up something else, well, what about this area over here? Not working on that right now? Working on this one. This is the one I'm working. Get out of my way, devil. Now, for those of you who have time, how many people have been taking the time to listen to the, the teachings we've been putting up on Facebook?